just a quick note for today's special podcast. And um, I know I have done two bits while I was editing this episode, but um, the other one in the outro is going to come up at the very end very soon. But I thought I would do this intro to begin with because I'm not going to lie to you, there were some few difficulties whilst editing the episode. And a lot of the problem with it was due to Zoom. And the Zoom was being a little bit of a pain because I use it usually just to create my podcasts and to record them as well. But I think it was because of my Bluetooth earphones that I am wearing that there have been some times where the episode was very jumpy. I've done my best to fix the audio because I know that a lot of people will be very sensitive about the crackling for Zoom and there might be words that people might not get. So I have done my very best to sort it out but obviously there are still going to be some bits in there and if you do hear some bits I really do apologise for that. But yeah, that, that's all I can really say, really. So until then, I'm going to leave you to it to watch the episode. And then, yeah, hopefully to catch up very soon. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this very special episode of The Social Wave Project. My name is Sarah Francis, but everyone calls me Sez. And usually I would up new episodes once a month um, of interviewing guests about the things that they are very passionate about and are just talking about things that they want to raise uh, awareness about as well. But today we are going to dive in into another special episode because we have one guest who has wanted to talk about the things that has been very important to him. And we have done an interview earlier in the year. So uh, we thought we would do another interview again. So This is going to be a massive opportunity because today I'm going to be interviewing my friend, the amazing Connor Ward, who is with me now. Connor, hello. Hello. I come to you slightly ill, me, but I shall shall, uh, soldier on through. I have a headache and, and slightly blocked nose, but it's all good. I know that you have introduced yourself um, uh, like a plenty of times, Connor. but for those who don't know, what do you do? That's the question. <laughs> uh, no, I'm a predominantly uh, autistic consultant working on a variety of uh, products, services and with companies to ensure that their consumer facing stuff is as autism friendly as possible. And yeah, I also do that YouTube thing occasionally. <laughs> Well, because um, I know you said you wanted, uh, didn't want to do YouTube anymore. And then you just started back on YouTube for about like a month ago now. And um, it, it was actually quite um, surprising that you wanted to start again. But everyone can personally understand, really, because you had a lot to say, which we'll get into just in a little bit of a minute. But today in the special episode, me and Connor are going to be talking about diagnosis, employment and social media, all of which that Connor is very passionate about because he has been through all three of these experiences so jumping in to the first question growing up did you ever feel different compared to your family and friends um yes I did feel different but first of all in the way of I think we all probably feel different to each other otherwise that would be really boring um but um I didn't feel like I was the odd one out 
in my head it was simply I'm surrounded by weirdos everyone's everyone's really you know too spontaneous and and too like they keep lying about the most minuscule things and not even realizing that they're doing it and just um so I, I I didn't see it as like oh I'm different to everyone else I saw it as like everyone else is just so bizarre um yeah until I got to about the age of 15 to which I realized oh no it's I think it's me um because of course that's when you've got hormones surging through your bodies and it means that uh emotional complexities develop uh there's, there's far more emotional concepts to be aware of and to have to think about and 15 year old Connor couldn't really comprehend that for the latter years of my teenage years um so yes I did then um and then obviously at the age of 18 uh was when I felt the most different because that's when I went okay yeah yeah I I do want to pursue a diagnosis and then how long did it take for you to get a diagnosis so I I started my diagnosis by going to my GP in April of 2016 and I'm aware that I'm extremely lucky in this, like extremely, because I, it can go on for years for some people. Um, but mine, all in all, I, I had an appointment in July uh, and that was with kind of a, uh, I think it was a trainee, trainee psychiatrist, um, to which she like, but it was a really long appointment that one was. I think it was about an hour and a half, maybe even closer to two hours where I brought my mum in and we just spoke about absolutely everything in my life that like could be written down to like an autistic experience as such. Um, I then had to go away and do some like tick box quotients. I'm sure anyone who's, who's done diagnosis has, has encountered any form of them, uh, sent that back in. And then two months later in September, September the 12th, 2016, I had my appointment with the main psychiatrist. This one was only about 20 minutes and, um, all it really was was me walking in and him going yeah I've looked over all the stuff you're autistic uh, and to which I was like yeah so I'd got the scores back for these quotients and stuff I got 46 out of 50 and like anything 30 plus is, is indicative of being autistic um, so yeah got nearly four marks on that one so no arguing as such it, it was relatively short though and I'm, I'm very lucky for that it then took about another month for me to actually receive that the actual diagnosis letter so like from September 12th it was really weird it was like I have this diagnosis can't use it yet <laughs> um, but yeah I never heard of something like this but it's quite different really because um, compared to you really I had an early diagnosis which I, I probably won't remember but most people uh, um, who are diagnosed as autistic it tends to happen a bit later compared to early but um, it's just something that everyone could could know no no majority of diagnoses are called are, are early hence why it's called a late diagnosis um no no majority of it is picked up as when you're a kid um the only reason why in our world where we why you may think that is just because you hear adults getting diagnosed and stuff um you don't hear of the the for every one autistic adult that talks about being diagnosed you don't hear of the 50 kids that have been that same week 
But that, that's really interesting now. And then jumping on from that, um, since being diagnosed as autistic, have you ever felt that compared to before, have you thought that your life would have been different? Um, yes, massively. Had I not, well, first of all, I wouldn't have a job if um, I wouldn't have this career path if I if I didn't get that diagnosis. Um, but no, that's obviously not what I mean. On, on a personal level, I I needed that diagnosis for multiple things. Um, I needed it for education in some ways to because I had I'd left my sixth form due to reasons which can mostly actually now on reflection be put down to being autistic should I want to go back into education I realized that that kind of the more adult structure of education wasn't working for me um so I needed that diagnosis for then to which it then came into effect when I started doing the open university and in-person tutorials I really needed that then I also needed it for employment I didn't feel that reasonable adjustments were being made when I needed them and like reasonable adjustments is a term that can be far too easily dismissed now like if you break it down reasonable adjustments not asking for the world just asking for a few little things to help make a massive difference um so yeah in that area too but on on a social level i wanted it first of all to just prove to myself that i was like okay things are this way for a reason and that's okay just different there's nothing wrong with you just something different about you um and that's absolutely fine but also on a social level to to justify it to well it's weird because I, I don't I would say it was more to justify it to the more, the more challenging people in my life let's say because anyone who was my friend but well, at the time I did need it to for social reasons to, to make up for what happened as a teenager as such but like in my adult life I don't I feel everybody in my life would be friends with me regardless of my diagnosis so like it doesn't really make a difference on that level but um to some people some people need reasons for why things happen they can't just accept the fact that people are different um so it was useful in that respect it's kind of like funny really when you think about it because there are people who are going to be there for you and they'll be like oh Connor's just the same it, it, even though he's autistic it doesn't really make a difference at all and that those are the people that would actually like stick to you because in the community in the YouTube community when because all of us in the YouTube community are autistic so we've got you Dan me Holly and Andy and many more people it feels like even though we're in the same boat it doesn't really make uh, any difference, really, to be honest, if that makes sense. Yeah, but in all fairness, none of us would be connected without that, without being autistic. Um, but the, the way I see it, I don't want people to define me by it. But then um, moving on from that, with employment, you've been on a very long journey with that. So what was employment like for you? Because I know you discussed it on your YouTube channel. But in like a sensory, you uh, started employment working for other people in the company rather than taking on self-employment. Uh, probably the best starting point, actually, is to go back to when I was a teenager pre-diagnosis. At the age of 16, over that summer holidays between years 10, uh, sorry, between years 11 and 12 or, or college or apprenticeship to whatever you're going to do, 
there's kind of an unspoken rule that that's when you go and get your first job. Um, whether it's literally just working at McDonald's or whatever, that's when you go and you, you over that 12 week holiday, you go and make some money in that. Um, I had so much anxiety in year 11 leading up to that end point around that. So obviously there was the social anxiety of the whole talking to strangers talking to strangers as well i need to point there's a very big difference between talking to strangers and talking at strangers and at strangers is what i do for the majority of the time now but yeah back then this fear of having to talk to strangers um also i'm, I'm very fussy uh material and clothes wise i don't like to see logos on me if a logo is on me it has to well, it has to not to look like too much of a logo and it has to mean something to me and it's in my control as to whether I'm... That's too deep. I, I get funny about stuff and on a sensory level, if there is a logo stitch on something, I can feel the threads underneath and just, oh. Um, which is why most of the time I dress quite plain because then I don't have to think about anything like that. Like, I, do, I do, not to go too down the clothes route, but like I... I I do wear different stuff it's just it's got to be my choice and there's got to be a reason for it um but yeah anyway so so actual fear of uniform which is one of the weirdest ones to say but yeah no it's true that was one of my biggest anxieties around that and, and I didn't get some job at McDonald's over that summer um the most amount of work I did was did some car washing um I think I earned about 50 quid in total over 12 weeks like nothing at all so it's um yeah um again that might be different had i had a diagnosis because i feel there would be like less expectation but i find that weird in itself that we should have different expectations um so that was kind of my first struggle as such um and that anxiety obviously like it wasn't going to go away and like I, as a teenager i was working on app development i was writing my own apps and stuff trying to get them all big um and i like so desperately was trying to make them work and like you know there were positive things that did happen with it but ultimately it led nowhere but I was so hopeful that that would take off for me that I wouldn't have to think about all these anxieties um surrounding going into the workplace but yeah alas I didn't I didn't have an app that I could sell to a company for millions of quid that makes it sound like out of laziness no no I'm not I'm definitely not a lazy person um at all but yeah, so that, that, that was kind of the pre-anxiety into where, like, my first actual job was such. Um, you said to me, and uh, you said on your YouTube channel as well, with your first job, it was quite a bit of a struggle, really, because with your first job, you actually worked in an office job, but you left after a few days because it all got too much and, and you were very overwhelmed by the surroundings, the smells everything yes my first job after a year of leaving sixth form i ended up getting a job at the local council building which six floors um all open plan a thousand people on each floor so a thousand keyboards pressing away constantly all i was doing was like a finance assistant like i was just doing some admin stuff i'd had a, it was set up to be a three-month job i completed the task within seven working days and was yeah seven working days and I probably would have done it in five had I not had to run to the loo every 
half an hour or whatever to just escape the noise and like you'd come in each day and you'd be on a different desk and with no logical reasoning and uh and then I was put in front of this big red wall and the color red was really overwhelming um obviously you know no I didn't have the diagnosis at that point um it was only after that job that um that I pursued the diagnosis but yeah it was weird to me that I got asked after seven days because I hadn't signed the official contract I got asked to leave and it was like okay this this is weird because I've done the job that you wanted me to do to an extreme yet I'm being punished for it essentially because I thought you know I'm going to wait for three months I'm going to build up a nice little bit of cash a comfort cushion to then just let me you know to tick over until I can actually find something that will work for me um but no I think I got like 400 quid in total and because I started in January I was like I've told you this is my first job. How on earth, how on earth have I earned enough money to be to assume I'm on emergency tax? But anyway, so many, so many things I wasn't told. Um, but yeah, I earned about 400 quid in total from what I worked out would have been, you know, four grand's worth of worth of work, which would have been a nice comfort to keep me going for, especially because I was living at home. I had the luxury of of um, of that to just keep a cushion there for me to be able to find something that worked for me because I've been told all my life like you've got skills you're talented and you're extremely clever um but I I couldn't use them and it was weird um so yeah that that happened um I left I had 400 quid to my name I was like oh cool and then I started, started the diagnosis process but in that time I'd started a second job and that second job was in a smaller office, but I was programming like medical tablets and smartphones for medical use. Funnily enough, some of the some of the clients that would work with are all are all names that are starting to sound like very familiar to people, just because it's like AstraZeneca and GSK and, and stuff like that. Yeah, and and I was there for seven months. That was with a company though that, despite me getting my diagnosis about five months into it refused to make reasonable adjustments, even though I was extremely struggling. Um, and I won't go into this one too much just because there's so much to say with it, but it was the way all I wanted was to be able to do my job as efficiently as I could in a short amount of time as possible so I didn't have to be picked up at four o'clock every single day by my mum, normally in tears. It was weird, and especially because I'd got that diagnosis and I thought oh, my diagnosis is, is going to solve everything for me, to then be told that, like, all of my problems were not to do with me being autistic, which I'm like, yeah. Now that's really, like, understandable, really, because I know a few people who are like that as well. But then since um, looking back for a few years, you jump into self-employment. Did it make a difference? So I... Well, with, with that last job, I, I I just need to get in that I chose to leave that because it was so draining and, and I didn't want to work for a company that uh, didn't respect reasonable adjustments. Had I really wanted to, I could have got into the whole legal side of stuff, but, you know, too late. The company's been bought out by another company now as well, so I can't even do it retrospectively. But, um, yeah, no, well, well, the kind of social media stuff that we're going to go into is what started the self-employment bit, so maybe we are better leaving that until it comes up later in the question yeah agreed but then looking back on it because there are figures that are going out in the moment but I don't know if it was true or not but originally there were only 
uh, this percentage for autistic people being employed in the UK, well, in full-time employment, only 16% of adults. And I don't know about this, it got pushed up to 22%. But why are only 16 to 22% of adults are in full-time employment? There's a couple of things around this one. Um, so let's go into the technicalities of it and then I'll kind of branch out. But because most full-time jobs are extremely draining socially and sensory-wise, that even with reasonable adjustments, it's still going to drain an autistic person that much that they are going to have to reduce their hours for the most part. Um, another barrier that we have is that job interviews, for the most part, are really not the, the most autist-friendly uh, process that there is. Um, yeah, no, it's. I think there's lots of factors to that. I find it weird that that like full time employment is a goal to get to. Like, I think I think most people would be much happier with part time employment. Yes, you don't earn as much money, but you get a percentage of your life. To, I'm self employed, so I don't I don't count as full time employment, even though I probably work twice as many hours as, as someone who's full time employed. Um, but yeah, no, so it, it's a weird one. But for the most part, it is because the system isn't autism friendly. And like, yes, people aren't allowed to discriminate and stuff by going, oh, we're not allowed any autistic candidates. But on a casual level, it doesn't make, you know, if someone sees a CV that has the, has the, uh, has autistic on it, the likelihood is they're still going, okay, just chuck that to the side. And that's due to their misconceptions of what, what being autistic is like in the last few years there's been quite a few developments in really understanding the value that the neurodiverse uh, employees can bring to to a workplace and um that's good because it means that they really are being um being good about that um there is a problem that is happening with that where where there's people going um we want neurodivergent workers but then being shocked when they actually have to make reasonable adjustments in the workplace and then yeah um I've heard quite a few stories of that of people then having to leave those jobs because they wouldn't, even though that's like specifically what they asked for. Yeah, no, so it's interesting. It just manifests itself in a much different way. Obviously, it means that income isn't as as steady and as predictable. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm lucky that I work with with companies that on a regular basis to be able to predict that to, to some extent. But on the whole, um, self-employment works for me. I don't know if it works for me because I'm autistic or if it works for me because I'm me. Um, I think it's more the latter, but um, I know, obviously I know quite a few autistic people that are self-employed. I also know a few, quite a few neurotypicals that are. So yeah, I, don't, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's autism exclusive, but I would push the side of the fact that it just gives you a bit more control over your working conditions. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with that because um, I know with me, um, I've tried to look at so many jobs a few times and um, with one of the jobs, um, well, one job that I managed to get a first time, I had to leave after three months because um, since I was working, like looking after teenagers in a youth group, I couldn't really settle in that environment really but then in one job interview I tried to get like a apprenticeship 
in a specialist school, as well as working on top as a specialist assistant. And when I told the deputy headmaster I was autistic, I didn't really get a positive response from her. And I said to her, you know, you are discriminating me and you're breaking the law and you can be sent to court for that. And in response, she said to me, we will never employ someone like you. And that was just such the most shocking thing ever. And I know there might be people who have gone through this because a lot of people, this is from what I heard, a lot of people have said to me, people are breaking the law when it comes to discrimination for not allowing autistic people to be in full-time or part-time employment, but somehow they managed to get away with it really, which is absolutely disgusting. It's down to their misconceptions. They just, they don't understand what what it means to be autistic. You know, like uh, a big long concept, which I'm not going to go into too much, but um, autism's always sat within the medical world where it doesn't actually belong in there, it belongs in the social world. Um, It's a difference. It's not a thing to have. It's not a thing to be with. Um, The weirdest thing is most of us, if we erase the word autism, it wouldn't affect um it wouldn't affect how we speak that's a hard point to explain what i'm saying is uh don't think of autism as a noun think of it as a as an adverb it's something to describe a noun um and the noun is a person so the fact that that it's sat as to be something to have meaning that it's something bad because everything's always thrown into the in, frame negatively with medical stuff um it's also there's the misconception that the autism equals um, more learning challenges, etc. Like people want people who fit, people want people who are easy, but no one's easy as human. Everyone's all over the place, quite simply. But they like to think in their head, like, no, 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 we don't want to do anyone that we have to make some adjustments for. Like that means that I've got to do something. That means I've got to go out my way to do something. Um, but that, you know, the amount of untapped potential there is, is horrific. But we have to look at historical figures who were most likely autistic, like Isaac Newton and, and Thomas Edison and people like that. And it's like, well, OK, well, if you if you don't want to tap into autistic potential, let's take away the electricity. Let's take away Internet and see how you react to it. Because, yeah, as I say, the, the amount of untapped potential is, is just horrific. Mm, I definitely agree. But then uh, we're jumping on to the positive side of it, but it's a little bit of a balance in between, and that is social media. So when I first met you, because I first met you through YouTube, the first video I ever saw was you making a video called I Am Autism, which was for a competition for the National Autistic Society. And although you didn't win, it became a starting point for you to start YouTube but what made you want to continue with YouTube in the first place following that video? Um, Numerous things. A, the reception to it, like that can't be argued with. Um, It it, it went down really well so I thought okay probably ought to do more of this. I kind of wanted to do YouTube as well for, for quite a little bit of time. I do like performing a little bit. I like I like presenting, I like educating people. I like presenting people with knowledge. I also like video making. Like prior 
in my teenage years and stuff i make all sorts of videos like i was watching watching one the other day where i was playing with adobe after effects when i was like 14 and it was um me regenerating in like doctor who into my into one of my friends uh, funnily enough exactly in this spot anyway um but yeah it's um it's weird that like I, I i needed that first video because that that i had the pressure of time that competition obviously had a deadline and funnily enough that deadline was about a week after i'd left that job um the second job that i spoke of i'd wanted to do youtube i'd wanted to just make make stuff and put it on the internet but i'd not had the guts to do it um so yeah i got a little push and i, I think the first four or five videos to come after making I Am Autism weren't anything to do with autism at all. When I got back around to making autism content, seemed to do quite well. Um, so I thought, best continue with this. Well, it's, a, it's definitely a good thing that you did, really, because uh, I know that um, following that, um, you did a reboot of I Am Autism, inviting so many guests to do each part, me included, with the sign language. I still can't believe I did that. <laughs> but um, it, it, it went really down well because there was a connection to autism. And through that connection, you continued with it, uh, doing all like various different topics, including interview people in the West End or talking about issues that really matter, like the Sunflower Lanyard and then for World Autism Awareness Week with Mark Rover and with the charities Next for Autism and Autism Speaks, which every time I mention or hear the name Autism Speaks, it makes me want to throw up. <laughs> but uh, it's another story for another day but um with all the issues with that what are the continuous issues that are relating to social media and autism and I know you have a lot to say because it's been a continuous problem not just on any platform so not just on YouTube but through everywhere where as well um I can't talk about the issues without talking about the positives so social media has allowed everyday people to get easily accessed information to real life stories from different walks of life that they wouldn't get to experience necessarily in their own life. Um, we all live in, in, in communities and that's not necessarily representative of the entire human race. Um, there's so many people that have never encountered an autistic person. Well, they probably have, they probably didn't know it, but um, social media has made it really easy to then go and watch a vlog of someone who's a different gender, different race, different sexuality, different um, neurodiversity, different neurodiversity, different neurotype is what I'm trying to say, um, which has made for a really good empathy building thing, because it means that people are just it, like it's being normalized and it's not being controlled through fictional media which is often very stereotypical and stuff no it's allowed it's allowed true stories to be surfaced but within that social media has provided an i can never say this word anonymity anonymity we'll go with that i think i've said enough sounds for to resemble the word at least in some way um meaning that it's almost welcomed the uh the more teasing and more 
more of just what has happened historically in real life to to people who yeah um it's it's weird because of course there's so many things that people wouldn't say to your face but they'll happily comment on the youtube video or or tweet reply to someone or whatever some really horrible things sometimes uh and the way like of course you have to remember that that person's obviously just not happy in their own life to which you have to feel a bit sorry for them that, that, that that's how they feel they have to spend their time on the internet um but the fact that it is having a negative effect on 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 people isn't the nicest in terms of wider social media i don't know like it depends what side you get into of it but uh it's social media (laughs) like there's no there's no beating around the bush of that part there's there's lots of social norms that that means there's a whole new rule set to learn like most of social media is text-based communication to which it provides so much uh so many issues surrounding interpretation and stuff that that, that someone can never be 100 percent certain on the true meaning of something because because the emotional context is is often forgotten um or misinterpreted like we had emojis and stuff but like i i see autistic people a lot like saying things bluntly but apparently not saying things nicely enough it happens with narrative because too text-based communication is not nice for for emotive chats obviously with youtube and stuff you can add a bit more context with your visuals um tiktok i hate the fact that you can only do a maximum of 60 seconds no one can provide enough context in 60 seconds and if you can very well done to you so yeah i'd say i'd say the last lack of context but again it's social media the social rules like especially as you get into more of like the event side of stuff and stuff there's just the same social convention issues that that exist in other social situations I, I definitely agree with that and then I know we've got into one more question but the last question I wanted to ask because I know you've got a very special announcement coming at the end of the interview which I, I know you really wanted to share but before we look on to that the last question I wanted to ask is looking back on everything uh, would you ever change your life from before or do you think it would still be the same? So, for example, if you didn't do YouTube? I wouldn't change any of the factors that were in my control because I've got to where I'm happy now. So, no. Obviously, there's factors beyond my control, which would have been really nice if they were different, but they were beyond my control. Yeah. So I think it's actually quite a simple answer with that. No, I wouldn't change anything. There's, you know, there's minor things like, I, because I have such detailed memory, it means that like I can get, I, I can just be uh, sitting there and I, I end up reliving some traumatic event from when I was eight years old or whatever in full detail and stuff. Um, but it means like I also remember some things that are potentially quite cringy, but who doesn't look at their past self and go, oh, a bit cringy. So, um, yeah. Uh, oh yeah that's definitely a really good answer and um i know we've got to wrap up the interview here but jumping into the announcement autism show for those who don't know the autism show is a convention in the uk and um we have like uh, me and connor have been um well connor's mostly have participated in the autism show before but you've got something special to say about the autism show because you have dates yes um so uh the the autism show as i started to explain that uh is a convention 
that happens in London, Birmingham, Manchester. Normally, of course, in COVID times, we're having to do things a little bit different. Um, I, um, an organisation that I run is called Autism Assemble. It's it's my, um, it's a brand that I share with my friend Holly to be able to do stuff. And we take a hub at the autism show, so a stage to to what to broadcast the the autistic voices. Um, which means that like I, cur I curate a schedule full of different voices talking about different topics. Um, and yeah, so we're doing a webinar week. My two days are on the Friday and Saturday. The dates are from the 14th to the 19th of June. Um, if you just go to autismshow.co.uk, you can have a look for tickets there. And um, yeah, because of course it's a virtual thing, it can it, internationally, um, you can join. So yeah. But it's always uh, great to have like something that's around the world, really. And um, I'm definitely looking forward to, uh, to see the show as well on the 14th and 19th of June. But yeah, it was it's definitely um, a high recommendation to do that. And that's where we're going to leave it here. Connor, well, thank you so much for being interviewed today. Oh, did you have? Yeah, yeah, it was just a little bit more on the autism show. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah, we're able to do things slightly different for this time. Um, because it's an online event. Like last time I did it, um, I didn't have the most mental energy to think of a way to, to present it differently. Um, but this time there's a few ideas that are going into it to making it just a bit more interesting than in your standard webinar, let's just say. But uh, that's a little tease. <laughs> well it's definitely something to look forward to really and um i'll definitely uh, try to get tickets but if you ever wanted to uh come to the autism show online please feel free to do so i i, I know that even though if it's going to be a little bit different it's still going to be good anyway no matter what and for me like going to the autism show prior to covid it, it's always been fantastic it's a fantastic convention so yeah definitely a huge recommendation and that's where we're going to leave it there connor thank you so much for coming on today for the special well, thank interview. you for having me Oh, you're welcome anytime. And uh, hopefully we'll get to do more things like that soon, really, because I know that you've got a lot going on in terms of like what's going on. But hopefully after COVID and what everyone's fully vaccinated and done, hopefully um, when things go back to normal, it, it, we just like go do a lot of things from there, I suppose. I know I'm not like actually saying things right, but yeah, it, it's definitely something to uh, plan for the future as well. Hi, everybody. Just a quick note before I actually end the podcast with Connor right here. Um, I had to stop a little bit of it because I was originally going to say that after Connor's interview, the schedule will be back to normal. However, something came up and I thought I would add another extra episode because there was something that really came up. And also there was a collab that I was planning to do. So I decided to combine the two together. And yeah, that, that, that's all that I came of it, really. <laughs> but yeah, so I am going to be leaving Connor's podcast there and I will see you whether you are on YouTube or listening on to the podcast on Spotify and Anchor FM, I'm going to be back uploading a brand new episode on the 21st of June. And I'm so excited for this one because this is going to be a very special one. And yeah, I, I just really I cannot believe how time's going quick, really. So you are treated to three new episodes.
episodes in June. So we had one with Karma and we had one with Mason. But the third one, I'm not going to say what it is yet, but I'm going to leave it as a total surprise. I hope you have the wonderful rest of the day and I will catch you later this month for another special episode. Take care of yourselves. Bye.